Welcome everyone to Investing for Generational Wealth. This is your host, John Lai, and welcome to today's webinar, Traveling and Investing in Hotels with Dia Lu. Before we begin, a quick disclaimer, as always, we are not financial advisors. All investments are subject to risks, including the possible loss of the money you invest, so perform your due diligence before making any financial decisions, and of course, consult your CPA and your attorney before making and beginning any investments. So let's get into it. Today's guest is Dia Liu. Dia currently owns three boutique hotels across Texas, Arkansas, and North Carolina, and owns over a dozen short-term rentals. She quit her nine-to-nine job as an attorney when she achieved financial freedom with short-term rentals and spends her time taking over 50 trips a year, acquiring new projects that she is passionate about and teaching others how to do the same. She speaks on stage at real estate conferences on short-term rentals, as well as hotel investing in front of hundreds of attendees, and she currently owns 46,000-plus member Facebook group of Airbnb hosts. Finally, Dia is creating a short-term rental and hotel series of educational courses to teach others how to invest in these assets, as well as creating a fund. With that, Dia, do you want to give others a quick update on what you're doing and what you're up to these days before you launch into the presentation? My name is Dia Liu. So I just shared with everyone in the chat where, where to find me, but basically it's direct.me slash Dia Liu. So if you want to get a copy of these slides, if you want to find my LinkedIn, if you want to know about any upcoming events, uh, that is the best place to find me. Today, we're going to focus on hotels because this is a commercial real estate investing group. Um, this slide deck has a little bit about short-term rentals investing too, but we're going to try, uh, I'm going to try my best to kind of fast forward and just highlight the most relevant pieces of that, those slide deck to you guys and uh, focus on the hotel portion of it. So first, a little bit more about me, who I am, why you should listen to me. Um, and then we're going to dive right into first FTR investing why I started with short-term rentals over other assets in residential real estate, and then uh, why a lot of those same reasons why I really like short-term rentals led me to the natural progression towards hotels. And then we're going to talk about a couple sample deals that we have closed on already. Um, and then we're going to talk about our personal hotel and to a smaller extent, our short-term rental investing strategy across the USA. Uh, so once again, I, uh, I was a double major in biochemistry and chemical engineering from University of Texas at Austin. I got a full ride scholarship to attend law school in New York City at Brooklyn Law. Um, I practiced law for about two years in New York City before I basically decided that the nine to nine, and yes, uh, often I did work very, very long hours. The nine to nine hours were just not working out for me. Um, and I also kind of felt like I was a cog in the machine, really. So even though I was doing really cool stuff, working with uh, Fortune 500 companies, um, I just really felt like there was more to life. And so I decided to make the change and move back to Austin, Texas. I found a patent litigation job back in Austin. And um, I started to really go deep dive into short-term mental investing. And... Um, 
to fast forward a little bit, I quit my job with SCR investing just when it reached close to what my I was making my first year's attorney. I was like, you know what, this matches my expenses. Peace, guys. And uh, I decided to jump off the ledge and basically quit my job during the pandemic, which was really scary. Um, so fast forward to nowadays, I own uh, three hotels in three different states. I also own quite a few other short-term rentals and apartment uh, turned short-term rentals um, across the USA as well. And then I also own this Airbnb professional host group. And I also speak about short-term rentals and hotel investing across the USA. So here's mo me most recently last month in Cincinnati on the left-hand side and then Dallas on the right-hand side. Um, and then really quickly, if you want more information about either of the topics, short-term rentals or hotels, you can join us on the 22nd and the 23rd. Um, 22nd is really just a short-term rental 101 boot camp. And then the... Uh, 23rd is a uh, hotels investing 101. So we really try to give enough so that for someone who might even just want to listen in as a passive investor, might still find this hotel bootcamp really interesting, just so that maybe next time you're pitched a short term rental asset to invest in or you're pitched a hotel uh, deal to invest in, you will be a lot more informed and ask more informed questions. And so um, both boot camps are open to both uh, people who are interested in becoming active operators, uh, as well as passive investors. So moving forward, so going back to why I love short term rentals, and also why I like hotels is that they cash flow a lot more than any other assets out there. So for short-term rentals, that means that they are cash flowing at least three to four X more compared to long-term rentals. And you can see here, it, here on the screen is basically one of my very first short-term rentals. I bought it with only about $12,000 down payment because it was a very dirt cheap ski condo walking distance to the ski lifts. And um, I was able to put only 10% down on this property. So with closing costs included, it came down to about $12,000 all in. And on the left-hand side, you can see a payout of over $2,000 for, I think, four or five nights stay. Um, and so basically, uh, a single booking on Airbnb equaled about one-sixth of my down payment. So we're just really, really crazy. Um, and then I always show this slide because this was projection versus reality. Um, so on the left-hand side is a screen capture from a site called AirDNA. AirDNA, for those of you guys who are, are not familiar with short-term rentals investing, is basically a data analytics tool to show you how much you're supposed to make, in theory, on Airbnb and VRBO. It pulls in data from Airbnb and VRBO booking, and it kind of helps you with the projections. Um, so I thought I hit the jackpot when I found an asset that was going to grow 70K a year. Um, but, uh, you know, I only had to pay 95K for it. In fact, I only have to pay 10% and 95K for it. I was very happy. Uh, reality is that COVID-19 happened, and I only only grossed 32 grand. 
Um, and I always give this example when I present both hotels and SDRs is because a lot of people ask me, hey, short-term rentals and hotels, they seem like great deals when the market's doing well. But, you know, what happens if there's another pandemic? What happens if, uh, you know, things are not going so well? And I always give them this example, because even in the, you know, the worst of times in the last hundred plus years, um, you know, COVID-19, which was, you know, pretty devastating to the tourism industry, I still gross 32 grand on a 95k asset. So that is not something that you're going to find with a long-term rental anywhere in this nation. And so I, I, you know, the same strategy for what we do with short-term rentals also apply to hotels. And so we're going to talk more about how this same strategy applies to hotels down the road. But basically, we're always trying to find really, really good deals from a cash flow perspective. So we have tons of uh, wiggle room, so to speak, in terms when there's any sort of flux in the market. And um, so, in fact, it was such a good time to buy during the pandemic that I was able to flip these for more than double the price of what I bought them for a year later. So when everyone was scared to buy short-term rentals, I bought as many short-term rentals as I could. And then when everyone uh, was into short-term rentals in 2021, I decided to offload some of them to pay for hotels. So that work, a strategy worked really well for me. And it worked so well that I was started to run into appraisal issues because people wanted um, my short-term rental so badly that they were willing to pay a little bit above market for it. And the reason for that is because I bought this townhouse for 255K and I had 12, uh, trailing 12 months revenue of $97,000. Um, so people were more than willing to shell out 500K for this property. So I'm happy. The buyers are happy. They're getting a great return on a turnkey short-term rental. The only people who are not happy were lenders and appraisers. Because in their eyes, it doesn't matter if my property was cash flowing and grossing about $97,000 a year. Um, they treated it because it was residential real estate, just like the townhouse right next door to me. So that really, really frustrated me. And I was like, I have to find a way to resolve this for future sales. And I was able to creatively resolve this one in particular, because I decided to owner finance it via a wrapped note transaction. And I was able to pull 150k back out. And now I have a currently a passive income about $300 a month. Um, so I was able to resolve this. But this was the first time I was like, you know what, I need to get into commercial real estate or something to where I'm not capped by this appraisal that's based on the sales of other properties around me. And then the other strategy that I really picked up during SCR investing that I really wanted to apply to hotels and other commercial assets was the birth strategy, which um, it's buy, renovate, refinance, rent, refinance, and repeat. Uh, this strategy works pretty well for long-term rentals and short-term rentals alike. Um, and as you'll later see, it also applies to hotels. Um, so this duplex I bought for cash for 200K during the middle of the pandemic. 
uh, I put about 100k into it in terms of furnishing a rehab. And a year and a half later, it appraised for 600k. So here it is, uh, for those of you guys who don't believe me. Um, so this is me, just uh, a very Asian LC name. Um, and uh, I was able to get this appraised for a little bit over 600k. And which means that there was a you know, minus expenses and how much it costs to furnish your rehab, um, there was about 250K plus um, tax-free gain in this property. So applying the BRRRR strategy as well as understanding that commercial appraisals means that my appraisal is now going to be higher whenever I perform better in income-wise, that I took these concepts and I decided that hotels was probably the next natural step in my progression as an investor. So, um, so this slide, so the first one is higher income and higher is equals higher evaluation. Um, I, what really caught my attention was that not only is it uh, you can push income higher with swing and hammer by renovating the property. This is very standard with multifamily investing. You do some selective upgrades and then you are able to increase rents. And then now you're going to get a higher net operating income or NOI. And then because of the higher NOI, you're able to get a much higher commercial appraised valuation. Now, with short-term rentals, multifamily, or with hotels and motels, what's interesting is that you don't actually have to swing and hammer to get a higher valuation. You could just take a mom-and-pop motel that is, whether it's ugly or whether it's already kind of beautiful, um, but it's just poorly run. It's not online. You can't find it. You can't book it as well online and you now increase that online presence you're improving the seo uh let's say you're improving the digital marketing and now all of a sudden your gross revenue is going to skyrocket and therefore your net operating income is also going to skyrocket which finally means that your valuation of the building is going to skyrocket which is crazy to me i don't have to do anything to this building i could just market it better and I'm going to get a higher valuation. Now you'll see in the later slides that we absolutely do still um, you know, swing hammer, so to speak. We still renovate the building. We still make it more Instagrammable, more uh, easy to promote. Uh, but uh, this concept really stuck with me. And the second reason why I really wanted to go into hotels was because of the scalability. It was a lot easier to acquire, of course, one hotel uh, versus trying to buy 50 short-term rentals in one year. And then, of course, there are uh, efficiencies such as getting bulk materials for much cheaper and then furnishings for much cheaper. We're able to get at least 10 to, usually 10 to 40% off a lot of these materials as well as furnishings. Um, and then cleanings are way, way cheaper because now instead of, hiring 50 different cleaning companies and or cleaners for 50 different short-term rentals, we're able to hire two or three really good cleaners to clean, let's say, a 50-room hotel. Um, and then maintenance is also way cheaper because now management and ma maintenance, we're not shelling out 25 to 30% of gross rental income for 
are uh, for operating our hotels anymore. Um, and then finally, short-term rental regulations. That's often in the news uh, as, you know, San Diego recently, for example, enacted a series of short-term rental regulations. And it's, it's now a lot of the short-term rental operators are like, hey, what do we do? So it's usually bad news if you own short-term rentals or operate them. It's actually good news for those who are hotel and motel owners because that benefits us. So now I have some mentees who are in the San Diego area, for example, and we're looking at hotels in that area or, you know, any other area that's being regulated out in terms of short-term rentals. And we're just going to target these um, hospitality assets because they are carved out from short-term rental regulations by definition. So if you're scared of regulations, hotels and motels are actually safer investments than short-term rentals. And that is the final piece that really, really brought me uh, closer to hotels and motels investing. And so I decided to start refining my target acquisitions. So I'm not looking at franchise hotels. So I'm not looking at Marriott. I'm not looking at Hilton. I'll explain why later. Um, But we're looking at 10 and up uh, hotel rooms or keys. And we're buying in markets two to three hours from major growth cities. So Austin, Dallas, Atlanta, Denver, um, etc. RTT area in North Carolina. Where are those people driving for a quick getaway for vacations? Because their primary markets are growing and booming. And so we are, you're normally not operating these primary markets. We're operating basically where these primary markets people are vacationing uh, on the weekends. And, um, And then we're also looking at hotel assets that we can push the valuation at least 2x. And the reason for that is because we want to give our investors a healthy return. Uh, We want to be able to pay ourselves. Um, And also, you know, just we with so many deals out there, we're very, very selective and we'll rather do two or three really good deals every single year than trying to do 10 plus just to get our volume up. Um, And then uh, we are also doing cash out refinancing after two to five years um, around the time when which is usually when we cash our investors. Um, You know, sometimes that could be way faster than two to five years, but usually that's what we project. And then, um, and so basically using the birth strategy for hotels is in a nutshell what we're doing. And then finally reducing overhead with uh, a lot, as much automation and technology as possible, which if time permits, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Here's me, uh, you know, looking at hotels high and low across all seasons. Uh, You can see on the right-hand side, this is actually the hotel we ended up buying. This is our very first hotel. It was very um, old and dated, but it's ours. And speaking of the same hotel, you can see another standard hotel room that doesn't have a jacuzzi in it. Um, So we looked at a lot of deals, high and low, and I really just hated most of the deals that was on the MLS. So this is actually one that I was able to find off of the off market. Um, And it was referred to me by uh, as a pocket listing, basically by a hotel broker. And um, 
So we bought it for 750k for 48 keys. Right now, it's closer to 45 doors instead because we combined some of the rooms to make them bigger. Um, and I knew that this was a solid deal because of two reasons. One, we were buying below market rates. Um, I think at the time, the, the this building, if it had some somewhat semblance of decent financials, it will be even in the state of condition, it's worth at least 1.2 to 1.3. Um, now, two is that we knew that these financials were not the true uh, potential of the building. Um, the owner was uh, relatively old. Um, and so they really had a lot of other commercial assets that they paid a lot more attention to. So they really didn't spend that much time to um, improve the online presence of this hotel. So it was only on one single OTA or online travel agency platform. Uh, you know, those are Expedia, Hotels.com, Airbnb. Those are all considered OTAs. Um, and so he was only on one. And uh, they also didn't really optimize it that well. So I knew that we were in for some surprises uh, and changes when we talked to the front desk. And they said that uh, sometimes the guests arrive before the email for the booking actually it's found and located in their email system. So that's how ancient their technology is. So we got it for 150K down payment, 6% interest, three-year balloon. Um, and then we spent about 500K on uh, furniture and rehab, basically, or rehab slash FMME. And then we um, were not looking for refinancing for at least three to five years, but a local bank found us because he liked what he was seeing when he was driving past our building every single day on his way to work. Uh, he saw that one half of the building was uh, shut down and being renovated and the other half of the building had a lot of guests in it and the parking lot on the other half of the building was full. So he reached out to us. We decided that, you know what, um, I don't know if we can get the full valuation that the full potential of this without the one-year financials, but why don't we try to refinance this now because the interest rates were going up. So we were surprised to find that our building was appraised for $2 million without any financials. And so this, uh, this is without taking any sort of business value into account. The valuation for business is actually zero on the appraisal report. And this is just purely on the building. And that means that there's a hundred seven fifty k tax free, you know, equity gain in this property. And by tax free, I just mean that we're going to be able to pull out a large amount of the original investment back out and do another deal elsewhere. And one hundred percent of that will be tax free because it's a cash out refi. And so you can see here on the right hand side, this is the before. This is a during picture here on the bottom right. And then here's the actors with all the art added as well. So these are iPhone pictures. The next few pictures are going to be professional pictures um, that were most recently taken. Here's a pro picture. Um, you can see here in this view that we have catered to the digital nomad and the traveling worker as well with the new renovation. We have a little desk and a rolling chair here. 
Um, we also have a set of patio tables and chairs because we notice a lot of our guests like to spend a lot of time outdoors in these really crusty lawn chairs that we used to have. And so we got rid of those lawn chairs. We replaced them with sleek patio furniture that's foldable. So when the weather's out nice out, they can take that out and uh, go outside and chat with their friends on them. And uh, Acacia Live Edge. So we really try to make it really uh, trendy and chic, but also uh, reflect the fact that this is a mountain town with some of the rustic touches as well. And we also added some Instagrammable spaces. Um, this is one of those. But we're still uh, in the process of figuring out if we want to build a heated deck as well to add additional outdoor spaces. Um, and then... This is another deal that we recently acquired, so we haven't completely finished renovating it yet, um, but it's the Blue Ridge Mountains Hotel. This one is 19 doors, and they're more like cute little cottages and cabins are separate rather than really one large hotel building. So when we underwrote this one, um, in case anyone's curious how we underwrite hotels, uh, long story short, if it's more like hotels, like the previous example, we use CoStar data. Uh, and then when it's closer to a series of short term rentals, we will still look at CoStar data, but we will also look at AirDNA and other short term rental data as well. So here we were looking at, hey, we're able to cash flow around half, we're able to gross about 500K on this one. $1.2 million asset. Um, year one, we're still able to operate this as is. You can see here on the bottom right, it's relatively nice already. It's not where we want it to be, but it's definitely a lot less dated than the previous example. So we're able to put about 400K into it because it's not as rough and it's fewer number of units. And then we were able to get uh, owner financing at 700k and 5% interest. And so we are renting it out as a short term rental hotel hybrid right now as is, you can see the the rooms are already online, basically like this on the bottom right for about $150 a night. Um, and then we're renovating one of the single families on the property that used to be occupied by the owner's um, extended family into a short-term rental right now. We're also improving the common spaces to provide this really cool co-working type gym space, very similar to actually the space I'm speaking out of right now as I'm talking to you guys. And then we're also going to upgrade each unit individually slowly. Uh, on the left-hand side is a picture that my one of my business partners who's living on-site for the next two months, basically. Um, he's kind of overseeing the rehab and stabilization of this asset. He's putting all the smart TVs in as we speak. So, um, so yeah, we are making small upgrades for now, and then uh, really focusing on the common areas for this property. And then you can see that here is the example of our underwriting a little sneak peek into it. Um, we were looking at Airbnb comps here online and basically one bedrooms and one baths, one bedroom, one baths were ranging on Airbnb grossing around 21 to $52,000 a year. And so we went really conservative on that based on that range. We went on the lower end of that range at 25 K a year 
projection. Um, and so you can see that this is a sample return uh, of what one of our hotel deals looks like. We're at about 22% uh, IRR um, and an equity multiple about 2x. Um, and then looking forward, we're basically starting a hotel and SDR fund um, so that we can buy deals faster. We can pick up distressed assets, you know, without worrying about financing, uh, you know, raising money, et cetera. The money's already raised. Um, and then um, on my end, I'm, I have both this SDR mastermind as well as a hotel mastermind so that I can train more hotel and SDR operators and that run based on the same processes um, and systems. And so we're going to, we, a lot of our business partners are typically from tech backgrounds actually. Um, and my main um, business partner is actually, he worked 20 plus years in the tech industry. And so we really try to find a lot of ways to use smart tech to make our processes more efficient. So the, um, let me check the time. Uh, do I still have time to go over SDR hotel strategies? Uh, you have, you, yes, you do. You have um, about 26 minutes left. So uh, okay. you want to go. Okay. I'm going to breeze through them. Like I'm going to, yep. yeah. Okay. I'll breeze through these. So breezing through these. So one, we already talked about this, which is eyeballs. If people can't find you on, in the short-term mental or to a lesser extent in the hotel industry, they are less likely to book with you. Now, short-term rental, this is 100% true. Hotels, uh, more, even though you can still call in hotels to do bookings that way, uh, more and more travelers, of course, are booking by searching online. So search engine optimization or understanding the Airbnb, VRBO, uh, Expedia algorithms is key to really getting the max out of your investment. So what we spend a lot of our time is with really is like a lot of tech stuff really trying to figure out how much can we up our first page impressions relative to the market median you can see here i'm about 3x more than my market median and that also translated to a larger uh gross revenue compared to the market median for this particular tiny little beach condo and then two data back to market research we i'm always scouring websites for different uh, tourism data, for different investment data, where are where are the major tourism developments happening? Or where are the the natural disasters and et cetera? And where are, um, what are some trends that are upcoming in the tourism industry and hospitality industry, such as the twin tours remote working is one that very many people are familiar with. And things that are less obvious are where, you know, um, food delivery services are now slowly replacing in-room dining. So how do you really cater to that? Maybe you'll have a designated parking spot for Uber Eats and uh, seamless drivers, right, when they're coming to drop off the food. And contactless check-in, that's something that more and more hotels are implementing, but that also saves on the personnel costs because now you don't have someone who has to sit at the front desk um, every single day. Uh, solo traveling is becoming more and more popular. So how do we make solo travelers feel safer? And how do we provide really great common areas for solo travelers to connect with other solo travelers, as well as other people to really have, you know, a spaces for people to share together. Um, and then finally, Instagrammable spaces as well. 
And then some lesser sec less sexy things to think about are, do we have king beds? Do we have queen beds? Which one's going to be a higher ROI? Uh, should we have two bedrooms or should we just keep them as studios? Uh, should we demo any walls to make larger prop uh, larger rentals or should we just keep them smaller? Those are all things that we consider as part of our data. Um, and then this with the market. With the market research, um, what what data sources do you look at? Oh, everything. So from Business Insider, you know, to you know, just a lot of the news sources, uh, to a travel advi travel advisor and travel forums, and you know, travel hacking Facebook groups. I'm always looking at travel data, and also CBRE puts out quite a bit of commercial uh, hotel data as well. Um, AHOA, there's a lot of hotel um, and hospitality groups. And so AHOA, Hunter, and Lodging Conference, and you know, just attending a lot of these conferences as well, really to get the most up-to-date data. Um, this one's probably the most important thing, is buying below market. So I've always told my mentees to buy below market and you have a lot more excess strategies do not pay uh, above market do not pay above you know appraised value etc cetera, etc cetera. so when the market's hot everyone's a genius right so this one becomes more and more important as uh if the market cools down so what we look at is this market sale price per key first of all is this is at 60 this market is selling hotels at 60K per room. So that means if it's a two room hotel room, hypothetically, it should be worth on average about 120K. Now we are always trying to find deals at least 20% below this average sales price. So it doesn't always uh, work that way. Maybe it's super nice, it's turnkey already, it's ready to go. We're willing to play closer to market rate. But usually we are looking at at least 20% below and that gives us a lot more excess strategies. And then of data revenue management, database uh, revenue management. So we are always playing with the average daily rate and occupancy because there's you know higher ADR, I mean lower occupancy, but then higher occupancy is not always good. For example, if you're fully occupied or 80% occupied 30 days out, that might seem really cool if you don't know revenue management. But let's say you have data showing that most travelers are booking less than seven days out. Then in reality, you're really missing a bulk uh, of your target demographic because you have priced too low and now you're close to 80% booked uh, too, too far out from the arrival date. Uh, so that's something that you spend a lot of time, um, you know, thinking about. We, we spend a lot of time working on, basically. This one's also really, really important is that if people are making decisions uh, after five seconds of looking at your listing, whether it's on Airbnb, whether it's on Hotels.com, then pictures matter a lot. So even though that we don't have to swing and hammer in theory to really operate better, in reality, we're able to have a much easier time marketing this if we're going to revamp the space and make it feel more like a vacation rental or hotel. And so here's like some examples of stuff that I personally have designed and redesigned for either myself 
or one of my mentees. This one's a beach condo. This one's a ski condo. Um, this one is in downtown Austin. This one's another ski uh, condo here as well as here. And then this one's in on the beach. This one is uh, as a little New Mexican retreat um, that I bought for $189. And then a couple months later, appraised for $350. Another picture of the same residence. Um, we do a lot of murals so that we have more, more Instagrammable experiences, outdoor spaces, um, staging something better, even if you don't rehab it, makes a huge difference. Uh, and then cut re expenses. Uh, so just uh, basically, we don't really buy franchise hotels for this reason, which takes 10 to 20% of franchise fees. Uh, we also try to ramp up direct bookings because OTAs also take somewhere around 14 to 17% uh, fees on top of that. So not only does that eat into your cash flow, that also affects your valuation in the end because valuation, once again, is based on how much you're cash flowing. And then vertical integration uh, basically just means that we're trying to reduce, let's say, flooring costs from $4 a square foot to $2 a square foot or uh, buying furnitures directly from manufacturers in Asia rather than through their parties here in the USA. Um, and the increasing income streams, the great thing about hotels is that there's a lot more income streams. Uh, selling snacks at the front desk could be a very high amount of uh, income. That's additional. Uh, having a food and beverage option on site will also bring in revenue. Uh, renting out uh, e some spaces and event spaces. That's something that we're looking at for our hotel in North Carolina. And then having additional lodging options, which is the last bullet point here. Um, we are we have an extra part of acre in the back of our Arkansas hotel. And we are basically looking at turning them into glamping options, such as tree houses, cabins, etc and diversifying. So, you know, buying and starting an SDR fund and basically buying across the nation um, and then as, as diversifying with hotels and SDRs and different types of offerings and catering towards different kinds of travelers, you're able to diversify quite a bit. Um, any questions? Yes, so uh, we have one question, uh, if you could get off um, or get on camera or get off mute and ask a question, that'd be great. So Christina, do you want to kick us off? Sure, so my question was from um, probably a dozen slides ago, but you were showing, um, I, I think it was the cash on cash return and it was like the first year was negative and then year one was like 10,000 and then 20, 20, 20, and then all of a sudden year five is like 140,000 or something like that, I forget what. Um, and can you tell us, yeah, like what, what was the, what happened in year five? Was that a cash out refi? Yeah, that's a cash out refi. Okay, that's a return you. of uh, investor capital. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yes. So this is based on assumption of investing 150K and year one, we're not at 100% operations. Then that's why uh, year one's a little bit lower uh, mm -hmm. on in terms of, you know, returning our investor capital. Um, this one is already cash flowing 
as soon as we close on this property. But still, we usually are pretty conservative in our underwriting and assuming that we're going to have to take units offline to upgrade them a little bit. Um, you know, we're still at $150 a night instead of, let's say, $200 to $300 a night. And so there's going to be some ramp up time. Cool. Thanks. Great. Uh, I had a question about um, COVID. So you um, did, you know, you kind of started your spree for hotels during COVID. Um, we're kind of not so much at the, the same point in time, because I think we've had, we've gotten COVID manageable, but with the recession and with interest rates going up, how has that affected uh, your business and kind of your evaluation or the underwriting of uh, hotels as well as short-term rentals? So I will say that hotels, uh, this is actually one of the best times to buy hotels because a lot of hotels, their valuation went down because of COVID. So right now, um, the hotel valuations are artificially suppressed due to COVID-19. Now, um, during COVID-19, I feel like multifamily became a very hard to cash flow asset because everyone started getting into multifamily. Um, and so the valuation, the cap rates got really condensed, uh, suppressed uh, to like three, four percent cap on some stuff in a markets. And meanwhile, hotels, I feel like um, it didn't really become overpriced, long story short, in the last two years, kind of like other commercial real estate assets. Um, so uh, we've actually had really good luck in terms of finding good deals and just being really, really selective with our deals. Now, look, looking forward, um, yes, cap rates, uh, not cap rates, but interest rates are rising. Uh, so now, most recently, we for our refinancing, we locked in 6% interest. Now, technically, the market went beyond 6%, but because the bank felt like felt really bad that they've been delaying uh, the refinancing, they locked us in at 6% interest. And so the interest rate for us is still around 6%. Um, I've done 5% recently as well. Um, it's based on the Wall Street Journal prime rate rather than uh, the Fed's rate. So that does help a little bit with commercial real estate. Um, and then we're just continuing to uh, we're probably going to see more and more deals actually pop up because people are scared they're going to sell um, and they're willing to come down on prices a little bit more. They're willing to owner finance a lot more um, and they're maybe willing to owner finance at even better rates than uh, with the banks, which is what I've, we've also seen a lot of. It's like willing to be to finance stuff at four to five percent interest. Um owner financing. So that's kind of what we're focusing on is finding owner financing deals, finding distressed sellers, um, and underwriting our deals very, very carefully so that we're not buying above market. So if the market drops at all, we're fine if we're buying already 20% below market rates. That's great. Thanks for, for that. I had a few follow-up questions uh, regarding underwriting. One is, um, do you, you know, you obviously look at the um, T12, the trailing 12, are you, uh, are you looking to increase rents for your hotel properties? I think we talked about this offline. Yes, uh, let me start, stop sharing. Um, okay, so yes, so we are increasing, not rents per se, that's, that's probably not the right word to use, but we are increasing our average daily rates. Um, and that is just in 
factor of market. Um, so unlike long-term rentals, there really isn't a true market rate. So you're not going to find comps. The, the downsides, you're not going to find comps, let's say, for a treehouse. Where are you going to find comps, right? Like for a treehouse, you know, if there, there's no other treehouses 100 miles radius of you, and you're going to have a fleet of treehouses uh, built, then really there's not going to be any true comps. Um, now, you can always reference what other treehouse resorts are making. Let's say you find something 300 miles away that's making $300 a night you're able to be like, hey, we have similar amenities, we can kind of comp this. Um, but the thing, my point is that um, there, you actually can set your hot rate as high or low as you want. There's no real comp like long-term rentals. Um, so if long-term rental comp is $1,400 a month, you really can't push that much higher, uh, you know, or lower really. Um, and for us, it, I, in theory, if our competitors um, are at $200 a night, but we have way better design, we have better customer service, we have better, you know, customer reviews, we're able to push that to $300 plus a night. And so yes, absolutely, we're always looking to, um, we're underwriting the deals based on the market median. And so we're not assuming we're going to do better. We're just like, we're just going to be average C students in our projections for investors. But we're going to aim to be like way, way better than the market average. Right. And but the Blue Ridge Mountain uh, underwriting that you showed actually was pretty, pretty decent stats. I mean, a 20 plus percent IRR with a 2x multiple, that's respectable. So um, hotel investing is certainly something that people should look into. Uh, Rob, do you want to um, come uh, in on camera and talk about your question? Sorry. Hey, how are you? Um, I just had a quick question. With all the properties you do have, do you have any like sort of like membership rewards program whereby if they keep staying in like the different hotels that you do have, it'll like they get a benefit to it, whether it be like free nights at the, after like hundred nights or something like that. We are starting to look into that just because. Um, so we we have been uh so we only bought you know a couple hotels across the nation so we this is the start of hey do we want to do rewards or not um so we are looking into some sort of rewards program for our travelers because we told some of our folks uh who are traveling to our ozarks hotel in arkansas and we told them about our new acquisition and they're really really excited to visit it uh, so they're like, okay, so now we're trying to figure out what kind of loyalty program really makes sense. Uh, right now, we do have an uh, informal loyalty program for those that we know are longstanding customers of a particular hotel location. So maybe we will provide, uh, you know, we'll have a barbecue grill out and we'll be or we'll make, you know, popcorn for us everyone who's coming for large events. Um, but right now we don't have a formalized loyalty program yet. For the SCR and hotel fund, um, on the investor side, not on the traveler side, we're looking at actually adding travel perks for our investors so that conceptually speaking, if someone is already going to Disney World every single year and they're spending 10 grand on their Disney vacation, now, instead of paying for that lodging, now let's say that stay is free or discounted. 
Um, so now instead of spending that money, they can just invest that money with us and they save a lot of money from lodging, but also their travel expenses are now tax deductible because they're business expenses because they're traveling to a property that they own a percentage of. And so we're looking at um, how we can make that work and still provide a really good cash flow for everyone. Uh, so we don't have details for that yet, but that's not exactly where you're asking about. But I just that actually jotted my memory about that part that's coming up. Thank you. Um, you talked about revenue management, and uh, I wonder, you know, it's, that's easier done for short-term rentals. For hotels, is that also similarly easy to, to do? Um, I'm thinking, you know, if I think about the standard um, big big box hotels, you know, you see, you know, yes, there's seasonality in, in terms of the rates, but they're not adjusting the rates constantly. Um, not not as a you know perceiving it from outside uh what's your take on that what's the strategy around uh, revenue management for hotels it's uh, it's actually the same for us between short-term rentals and hotels now um i'm not i don't have insight into hilton or marriott and what their revenue management tools are and dynamic pricing tools are but what we use for uh, dynamic pricing for our short-term rentals as well as our hotels are very much similar. Uh, so we use uh, cloud beds uh, to for our hotels. It's uh, basically helping us manage all the different channels between Airbnb, VRBO, Expedia, et cetera. But it also has its own dynamic pricing software. So right now we're in talks with actually the tech lead and the CEO and et cetera to be like, hey, we really want this other brand to be your dynamic pricing tool instead of your house brand for a dynamic pricing tool. And that's where my partner's tech background is coming into play. He's actually the one day to day talking to our, you know, all these different tech companies to make sure that we're getting the best revenue management tool possible. So that's yeah, it, we, we still have the same tools. Long story short. Got it. Okay. Um, how are you sourcing the hotel uh, opportunities? You talked about brokers, you talked about MLS. What have you found as successful versus maybe not as successful? I will say that uh, most hotel deals are probably that are good are probably going to be off market. Not always, but usually because um, one, there's a saying with commercial real estate that by the time it gets to the market, uh, it's probably passed down. It's probably like, no, that's not a right deal for me. And so, by at least 10 different groups that looked at this deal. Um, that's how it reached the market because a lot of folks will present it off market first to see if there's any interest. Um, the other thing is that hotels are businesses. Unlike a lot of other real estate, there's a lot of staff involved. So if imagine you're working at a place and you found on uh, Crexy or LoopNet that your business is for sale and this is your livelihood, right? So what are you going to do? You're probably going to start looking for other jobs. So sometimes hotels take forever to sell. Uh, if I was a hotel owner, I probably would not list it on the MLS because I don't want my employees to all quit on me. Um, so a lot of hotel brokers tend to have 
one hotel deal on the MLS, and then they'll have at least five in their back pocket that they can talk about if you call them. So one strategy is to call hotel brokers. Another one is to call uh, to be on the top of the list with wholesalers in your area of interest. Um, a lot of them hate hotels because they don't know how to underwrite them. They don't know how to wholesale them. They don't have a lot of buyers for them. But if they know that you are a really strong buyer, maybe they will bring this deal to you first. And then we also do our own off-market campaigns as well. I will say that the most recent acquisition was listed on Zillow as a single family that has zero rooms and very, very large. And so sometimes there's no hard and fast rule for it. You just have to be lucky or you have to be addicted to looking at real estate like I am because I'm always on my phone basically <laughs> looking at real estate at all hours of the day. That's great. Um, wh what is... What are your targeted avatars? So for the LP and maybe just for GPs as well, um, who are you, who would be interested in hotels and as a LP, a limited partner investor of uh, your funds or any of your syndications? So our LPs, uh, so for our GPs starting off with our hotels, we only really partner with people we really know. So I get uh, a lot of messages, hey, let's partner on the deal. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, that sounds horrible. Why would I partner? <laughs> you know, like, um, so we only partner with people we know, um, whether it's that's out of our mastermind, though I know they know the basic materials and I can, I, you know, I know that we can work well together because I've seen them in person. That's how I've, I've vetted them. And they all have short-term rentals already. So I can go and visit their short-term rentals. I can visit their Airbnb listings and see what level of operator they are. Are they the kind that's just scraping by or are they the kind that really tries to provide a really good guest experience? So there's already some sort of resume that comes with, um, you know, the people that I partner with. Now on the LP side, uh, a lot of them are often short-term rental investors already as well. Um, they understand ADR, they understand REPAR, which is revenue per available room. Uh, they understand occupancy and seasonality. Now they are interested in hotel investing, but they just don't have the time or they don't have the expertise. And maybe they'll want to um, maybe lend a hand on hotel uh, stuff that we're doing at the hotel, maybe setting up furniture or whatever, some minor role. So they get a little more um, hands on with hotel, uh, running a hotel, basically. So that's one type. The secondary type is people who um, who are looking for maybe a little bit higher cash flow as well, um, because hotels and um, SCRs, they do cash more. And then finally, because of SCR fund, as well as our most recent hotel purchase, we have started rolling out travel perks. So people who naturally love to travel anyway, um, this is something that will not just cash flow for them but also provide a lifestyle for their families as well. So, you know, you, if you don't just care about, uh, you know, cash flow, you also care about, you know, providing experiences for your family. Um, this uh, SDR hotel fund, for example, should be able to offer both. That's great. Yeah, that's me. Um, I am definitely interested in traveling. Um, so, uh, I guess uh, like a parent who have uh, children that you are, you know, probably uh, one child is better than the other, but STR versus hotel. 
which one in your mind is a better investment and which one do you like working with more? So as for you or for me? For you. Okay. I like both. Um, I like short-term rentals in that they are, you know, residential real estate is a little bit easier to offer than commercial real estate in general and hotels are uh, you know so short-term rentals are liquid so i am able to sell if i need cash if i need quick cash for another project and i all i can always sell one of my turnkey scrs relatively quickly even in this current market i know that i can do that now hotels is not the same right like i can't just sell one tomorrow um and so that's one pro with short-term rentals um but the con with short-term rentals is that there's no economy of scale so what ideally i like to have is always uh, even for me without talking about the fun just for me personally i will always like to own both so i will have short-term rentals to where i have the flexibility of having quick infusions of cash if i want to sell something i can 1031 that very relatively quickly and easily um and hotels um you know a lot of times the single family next to a hotel is going to be worth 600k and the hotel will cost and it's 10 units and up and it could cost only just a million dollars or so so in terms of pure cash flow perspective hotels is probably going to win and also it's going to be more resistant to scr res uh, regulations and etc and so there's really pros and cons of both and then also, if I was not talking about me, I was just talking about a hypothetical person, sometimes for them, it's a lot easier for them to just buy one or two short-term rentals and have a little more cash flow, but also a little more, um, you know, lifestyle asset for themselves and their families to use. So a lot of my clients are actually folks who are not necessarily just looking at the cash flow aspect, but they're like, I want a house, I want a townhouse next to Disney, or I want a townhouse uh, beachfront so my family can enjoy it. Or I want to, a sea condo that I can go during the summer and then folks can rent it out during the winter. Um, so it's also a lifestyle asset for people to own short-term rentals. And so it's not a one size fits all. For me, I will always own both. That's great. Um, as a parent, um, you love your all your turners. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, so we are at time. Uh, do you want to leave any parting thoughts and uh, as well as your contact information? I know you, know you left your email or your, your um, web address. Um, any parting thoughts? Um, yeah, so I relinked it again. So that's a one-stop shop for all things uh, related to me and my upcoming uh, masterminds and meetings and uh, opportunity you know any sort of opportunities um so i will say that uh right the time to buy for me personally and hopefully for you guys whether it's residential real estate commercial real estate any sort of real estate is now as long as you find the right deal i know a lot of people are uncertain with this upcoming market and what we're doing but uh you know if your your money's sitting in the bank it's still losing out to inflation so i always think that buying a real estate, maybe I'm biased. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of real estate you're buying, but find your favorite asset class and just go invest now, um, as long as you're underwriting the deal very carefully. Thank you very much for the great presentation, Dia. You gave us a ton of information about why it made sense for short-term rental investors to transition to investing in boutique hotels in today's environment. A Burr equivalent template for investing in hotels 
and strategies for identifying markets for hotel investing. For those of you who want to learn more about hotel investing or talk to Dia some more about her boot camps, feel free to reach out to Dia at direct.me forward slash Dia Liu, D-I-Y-A-L-I-U. Again, thank you, Dia, for taking the time out to speak to our audience about the value of investing in short-term rentals and boutique hotels. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to to make sure that we can continue bringing you the best educational content. Thanks, everyone, and until next time, keep learning to invest for generational wealth. Bye-bye.